There's been a whole lot of talk about secession in the past couple of weeks, notably because Donald Trump supporters do not want to see a Joe Biden presidency and Donald Trump will not concede and is challenging this all the way to the electoral vote count on January 6th, where he has called on his supporters to descend on Washington, D.C. for a wild protest. Well, secession might not be the answer, but I have to wonder about at least one state, California. You see, when we talk about secession, one thing the left likes to say all the time, the Democrats mostly, not the leftists, is that without the blue states, the red states would be a third world country. And based on what's going on in California, I'm not sure any conservative or Trump supporter will care. For that matter, I'm not sure traditional liberals will care either because there is a massive recall effort to remove Governor Gavin Newsom, who has failed the state of California. Now, I must be fair, my friends. The problems California is facing did not originate with Gavin Newsom. That state is a mess. And perhaps that's what happens when you get single party rule. Now, we jokingly will say the Democrats and the Republicans are the uniparty because they mostly agree on all the worst things, notably war. But in California, you got something special. Democrat supermajorities control almost everything, especially in major cities. And when you look at L.A., you see a crisis right now. They yell at Donald Trump. They say, Trump, he is responsible for covid before covid happened. I had been covering the rise of medieval diseases in California. So before you want to go and yell at the president and the vice president, why don't you look in your own bedroom? When Nancy Pelosi and other people in California were like, come on down to Chinatown, don't be racist, encouraging mass gatherings. And then we see California, one of the worst affected states with COVID right now. So I'm not surprised to see they are saying, get this man out of there. I'm also not surprised to see, as most of you probably know, Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, two very wealthy and prominent former residents of California. They have left and they've gone to Texas. I'm not sure going to Texas is the right move. And many people in Texas are concerned that these well-to-do liberals are going to flee to their state where everything's a lot better. But it's a lot better because they don't have the same politicians from your the state you came from. You know, the, the idea that people would go from California to Texas and then vote for Democrat policies, I got to admit, that's a freaky one. So I tell you this, when I said I was moving out of the Philadelphia area, South Jersey, I'm coming to a, a red area and I'm a guest here. So I'm going to defer to the people who live here because you know what? Things are a lot better out here. They like to say the red states would be a third world country. Oh, please let me please show you what's going on in California in this mess of a wasteland. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are many ways you can give. I've got a P.O. box. You want to send me some stuff. But the best thing you can do is share this video. My friends, there are probably a lot of people who don't know about what's going on in California and why we often rag on this state. But let me talk about something else, too. The mass exodus is not just wealthy celebrities. It's the middle class. The policies of California have failed. The policies of Gavin Newsom have failed. These Democrat elites, they don't seem to care at all about covid. They go out, they flout the rules. They, they say lockdown for everyone, but not for me. And Newsom gets caught dining out with a bunch of friends, including medical experts who are telling you, you can't work. You must stay home. The people need to know what's happening in these places. 
So let's read. Before we do, don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe, hit that notification bell, share this video, and let's check it out. NBC News reports recall effort against California governor and attempt to destabilize the political system. Analyst says, or I'm sorry, analysts say, oh, sure. I'm sure these analysts know exactly what's going on. Quote, we wouldn't have been as successful as we've been if it weren't for Gavin Newsom, a recall Gavin 2020 organizer said. (laughs) Well, I guess uh, that makes sense. Destabilizing the political system. My friends, I brought up just a moment ago that there were medieval diseases arising in California. Let me just stress, we knew that the conditions of California and their failures to solve the homelessness crisis and poverty that was affecting their state was spreading disease. Then COVID hit and the narrative changed. We began talking about this pandemic and these lockdowns, forgetting that we knew this was coming and California was in the worst possible position And you know what? The buck stops with Gavin Newsom. Now, I know the Democratic Party has a lot to to, to be blamed for. But I do think if you're looking for the truly guilty party Californians, you need only look in a mirror, either through complacency or by voting for these people. The single party rule of California resulted in politicians who did nothing for you. In fact, they just extracted value and then just watched the system burn. I don't want to blame regular people, okay? I understand the leaders are the ones who are supposed to be solving these problems. But California, in my opinion, is a failed state for one major reason. Once they got single party rule, there was never again a reason to challenge the system or to actually fight for something good. These people knew if I run as a Democrat, I win, period. So I don't got to do nothing for you. I get the salary. I get what I want. People need to realize the danger that comes with this. Now, I can say, based on what I'm telling you here, you might understand why Donald Trump is still calling for people to go vote in Georgia to make sure the Republicans can hold the Senate because he recognizes even without him, especially without him, if the Democrats take control of uh, all three, well, I shouldn't say all three branches, but the the, the two chambers of Congress and the executive branch, they're going to be able to stack the Supreme Court, then they will have all three branches of government and the United States will become California. NBC reports less than two years into office, California Governor Gavin Newsom is being forced to defend his job, battered by several crises, including a a coronavirus pandemic, crippling unemployment, devastating wildfires and one very poorly timed fancy dinner. Newsom faces a recall effort that shows no sign of slowing a petition to oust Newsom has more than half the signatures needed to trigger a special election. This is this is amazing. They might actually get rid of the guy, said Oren Heatley, who was leading the Recall Gavin 2020 campaign. Volunteers had collected 844,000 signatures by Tuesday, he said. The Recall campaign must gather 1.5 million signatures by mid-March to force an election, and it will need a surplus of signatures because some are likely to be disqualified during the certification process. He has done this to himself, Heatley said. We wouldn't have been as successful as we've been if it weren't for Gavin Newsom. Dan Newman, a spokesman for the governor, said Californians will have to decide whether they want a distraction and circus to pull attention away from the state's problems. 
He said a special election could cost taxpayers upwards of $100 million as the state works to distribute COVID-19 vaccinations, reopen schools, and kickstart the economy. Quote, this is a ragtag crew of pro-Trump anti-vaccine extremists, along with some ambitious Republican politicians who would like to be governor, Newman said. I don't think it's something anyone wants. I'd be surprised if Californians wanted to spend the extra money and have another election the following year. Well, that man is just outright wrong. Because right now in California, they are experiencing a staggering exodus. The collapse of the population is mind boggling. From Eyewitness ABC7, California's population growth rate at record low as more people leave. Wednesday's new population estimate was that 135,600 more people left the state than moved there. No joke. Officially, California added 21,200 people from July 1st to uh, 2019 to July 1st, 2020, increasing the state's population by 0.05%. Still by far the most of any state. Okay, well, that's that's fair context, right? But the bigger news from Wednesday uh, Wednesday, Wednesday's news, new population estimate was that 135,600 more people left the state than moved there. It's only the 12th time since 1900 the state has had a net mig- uh, migration loss and the third largest ever recorded. California became a state in 1850 after a gold rush spurred a massive migration of people moving west to seek their fortune. The state boomed again following World War II because the aerospace and defense industry And again, in the 1980s and early 1990s, as technology companies made Silicon Valley a household name, that growth slowed for the first time in the 90s. And yeah, 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 I understand all that. Here's the here's the issue. This is actually bad news in a bunch of different ways. I'll tell you why it's bad news first and foremost, as it pertains to Gavin Newsom and the problems he's creating. The people who are clearly upset with what the governor did are leaving instead of staying and signing the you know, signing this petition to remove the man. I don't blame him. I don't blame him because you can point that criticism right at me as well. I, I recently uh, moved from the South Philadelphia area, South Jersey, to a more rural red area. Now, officially, I am not moved yet, um, but we will be officially moved soon. I'm in an area that is now dominated by Trump supporters and people who have very bold things to say about January 6th. It's kind of freaking me out. But as I said, I recognize myself as kind of a, a guest. I am coming into a community of people who have voted certain ways and done certain things that has benefited this area, particularly meaning a lot of people are happier. It would seem more space, fresh air, less pollution. The people out here really know how to live more freedom and people are reliant on themselves. I can respect that. So I tell you, you want to live in California and you want this stuff by all means, do it with my blessing. But therein lies the bigger question about peaceful divorce or secession. And that's why I opened this segment talking about it. What happens when everyone who hates the Democratic Party and Newsom leaves the state and goes to Texas? Actually might be good news for Texas. You know, I'm not saying everybody's going to Texas because they're going to a handful of other states. But think about it. I mean, Joe Rogan is very pro-gun. It's my understanding. But he is pretty left in a lot of policy issues. If he ends up voting... Will he vote knowing what happened to California for the Democratic Party? I'm not entirely convinced, although many of these people might, 
But you got to recognize the people who are leaving California are the ones who recognize the problem with the state and the problems with people like Gavin Newsom. Not all of them, but maybe enough. Maybe that means Texas will start becoming more red, especially as Southern Texas, which used to be super blue. And as many Latino migrants, Mexican migrants actually went towards Trump. Interestingly enough, Texas might become more red. California might become more blue. The people who are okay with what these Democrat governors are doing and they're staying there and defending them, well, then they're going to entrench themselves. And those who can't stand what these governors are doing are going to leave. And you're going to end up with free states, for lack of a better term, and lockdown states. Isn't that going to be strange? Maybe when we talk about civil war conflict and secession, What's not going to happen is on January 6th, Alex Jones shows up with 10 million patriots and they storm Washington, D.C. and occupy. Maybe that won't happen. Maybe it'll be a very large peaceful protest. They'll say rabble, rabble, rabble. And Joe Biden becomes the president. But what if Joe Biden is effectively our James Buchanan, a very weak and feckless politician who can do nothing to stop the increasing tensions between free states and lockdown states. You have places like California that don't know what they're doing. The lockdowns didn't work the first time, but they just see, just keep doing it, I guess. I put my hand in the fire and it burned. Better put my hand in the fire again, they say, as everything just gets worse. Well, people are fleeing. The state's ideological differences seem to be emboldening because of things like this. People like me leaving the blue state that I lived in and now going to a red state. Now, admittedly, I'm actually pretty lefty on economic policy, but I will not, absolutely will not be voting for any Democrats in these areas or anything like that. Sorry. You know, I've talked about this quite a bit. I'm actually in favor of Medicare for all, sort of. What I should say sort of is I like the idea of universal health care. I like the idea that we don't have our health care tied to businesses. I'm sorry, Democrats and progressives. I'm not going anywhere near this stuff because of what the Democrats have done to their states. I'm going to back away and say, you guys who seem to be doing it right, I defer to you at this point. I may disagree on some issues, but I don't want the place I live in to become like the place I came from. So I'm going to sit back and say, y'all are doing it right. Let me sit, sit on my porch and, you know, crack open a beer with no mask on and big open fields and, the, and mountains as far as the eye can see and just say, leave me alone. That seems to be working out so far. But where does that bring us in four years? Well, if Donald Trump does not win now, he will be back again 2024. He'll be pretty old. He'll be 78. But Joe Biden's 78 now. Trump, for his age, is a spry man. But when you get around that age, the decline starts to happen faster and faster. We'll see if he can, if, if he's as energetic and spry in four more years. But what happens when you have a weak and feckless James Buchanan-like president in Joe Biden, who does nothing to defend America or her interests? Trump comes back and says, America, I told you so. But at this point, After the chaos and the lockdowns and the authoritarianism, blue states and red states are so ideologically separated, they say, get out. We've already seen people saying things like, why can't we have Donald Trump as our president and they can have Joe Biden and we'll peacefully divorce? People on left and right, I've heard them both say it. The left mocks the right saying, you want your peaceful divorce? Fine, you'll be a third world country. I don't think they care. 
I don't think anybody who lives in, say, I don't know, Idaho or, or Iowa or Nebraska is going like, I wish we were more like California. It's a net benefit that we have these people in our country. No, if anything, they're saying, get out. Take your independence if you want it. Of course, that's not likely going to happen. Let me show you the recall, govern, uh, recall Gavin Newsom website, and then we'll talk more about this exodus. Because California is so desperate in this collapse, they're talking about taxing anybody who's been there longer than 60 days in a year period for 10 years. Okay, let me break that down for you. If, if you go to California for 10 days, just for a, a business trip, but throughout the year, you have to go six times, 60 days accumulated in one year period. California says they will tax you for 10 years after that, no matter where you are. How are you going to enforce that? Are they going to send California State Patrol to, to New York or to Maine to get you? I have no idea. Now, they haven't passed that bill yet, but they're talking about it, and that's nuts. Over on the Recall Gavin Newsom website, they say, Gavin, Governor Gavin Newsom has failed Californians. Unaffordable housing, record homelessness, rising crime, failing schools, independent contractors thrown out of work, exploding pension debt, and now a lockdown population while the prisons are emptied. Hold Gavin Newsom accountable. Gavin Newsom must go. Recall effort against Governor Governor California Governor Newsom reaches major milestones. 844,000 signatures. They could trigger a special election, a special election, and then they kick him out. But you know what's going to happen? I would not be surprised if you end up with another Democrat. You know why? We're well past the point where a reasoned argument will convince someone to do the right thing. Donald Trump, as the joke goes, could run into a burning building to save a child who is inhaling smoke and begging for help. And they would claim that Trump injured the child because he didn't actually know how to properly carry him out of the burning building. Can you believe it? Trump should have waited for the firemen to go in and I get it. Now, Trump may be on the way out, but this tribalism isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's, be, it's being emboldened. We're at the point now where the Democrats are going to be like, I don't care who gets elected so long as we snap back, clap back the Republicans. That's what it is. Look at AOC. Now, I'm not going to uh, be overly critical in terms of, you know, AOC not getting anything done. In her first two years, she's got some post offices renamed, but it's typical for a freshman, you know, Congress uh, a person, I guess, to be PC, to not really get a bunch of bills passed. Now, you look at Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> she's got like very little passed in her entire tenure. So sure. But AOC is the perfect example of a culture war, snap back, clap back politician. That's what it is. That's on Twitter when they do the clapping emojis. You know, we need healthcare now. Great. You're not actually doing anything to make that happen. One of the most like annoying things ever is when uh, AOC was talking to uh, Honan, I think his name was, of ICE. And she's like, legal asylees are not criminals. And he's like, they entered the country illegally under, sub, you know, section 203, subjects and whatever. It's like, oh, dude. Snapping, clap back. That's what it is. Snap back, clap back. Snap, 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 clap, clap, clap. They are not criminals. You're not talking about law. You're not talking about policy, okay? Now, 
I gave AOC respect when she got arrested because the core basis of the Green New Deal actually am in favor of what they proposed is, is trash nonsense. Social justice, critical race theory stuff. I want to get behind that. I'm, I want to talk about new generations of nuclear technology, carbon free, high density energy that makes us more energy independent. You see, right now, Trump has brought us to energy independence, but we're doing it with fracking. Hey, man, if we did nuclear power plants and other higher density renewables, we could probably get energy independence and offset all of that carbon stuff. Sounds like a good compromise. We didn't get there with people like AOC because all she does is go on Twitter and say, the Republicans. Well, you know, the Republicans, blah, blah, blah. You know what? You know who else I have a problem with? That Tim Pool guy. Because all he does is make videos complaining about Democrats all the time. Guy just constantly complains about the Democrats and only sometimes about the Republicans. I get it. Criticize me for it. I'm never going to run for office. I don't want to be involved in that stuff. And maybe that's one of the biggest problems we have. But I don't want to be a snapback, clapback politician, okay? And I don't think we should be voting for these people. But that's what you're going to get. You can kick out Newsom. Congratulations. The next person who's going to get in is going to be 10 times worse because the people who actually stood up against this stuff have already left to Texas and other states. And the people who remain are going to be like, we're going to own the cons. We got We got to make Republicans cry. That's why when that Republican dude, he's the young man who, who won, he said, cry more libs on Twitter. I was very critical of that. I don't want to see a Republican being a snapback, clapback politician, and I don't want to see the Democrats do it. But that's where we're headed. Instagram influencer politicians, they can generate a following faster by enraging people, and then they get nothing done. But you know what? The establishment probably loves it. So much easier to control these population, uh, the, the, uh, the population and these politicians when the politicians you bring in are mindless, feckless, clapback influencers. And that's what you get. Now, to be fair, Donald Trump is also a culture war politician. But Donald Trump is somebody who actually understands trade and actually did pretty well in certain areas. You know, I'd say Trump, if, if in the first two years of his presidency, he didn't bring on people like Bolton, I'd actually consider him to be a great president. In my lifetime, he's the best. Now, to push buttons on people like my buddy Luke Rutkowski, when I was on the IRL podcast, I asked him, do you think Trump is the greatest president? And, uh, you know, of our generation or whatever. Yeah, sure. Look, sure. Look, I, I've, I've been through, look, I, I, I think I was born, uh, who was president when I was born? Reagan? And then we had George H.W. Bush. Then we had Bill Clinton. Okay. I vaguely remember some Bill Clinton stuff, right? I was a baby when it was Reagan or whatever. I remember uh, George W. Bush. I remember Barack Obama. I can only really compare Trump to those two. And I got to say, he's doing a better job. Oh, that's right. The left loves Obama, but Obama was a, what, what was tyrannical in a lot of ways. The National Defense Author Authorization Act, indefinite detention provisions, the disposition matrix, aka the kill list, charging more leakers and whistleblowers under the Espionage Act than all of the presidents combined. More new wars, not a big fan, but he wrapped it all up with a big hearty smile and he convinced people to vote for him. Well, Donald Trump did the opposite. He ripped that smile off like the Joker and freaked a bunch of people out, much to his own detriment. But in the, in the last few years, he's done a pretty good job. Donald Trump is still a culture war politician, and I don't like the, the clapback stuff. Trump going on Twitter and snapping at people. I, I don't like it. I don't like it when he does it or when AOC does it. I want to see a real progressive politician and a real right wing populist politician. And I want to see them have a good sit down discussion. And you know who I think is, is great on the right? Tucker Carlson. I mean, the dude is he operates obviously for the most part in good faith. There, he did do a segment on like marijuana legalization that I felt like he was pressured into because I know that's not how he really feels. He's a very libertarian populist kind of guy. 
not perfectly, not completely, but I think he he, he operates in, in, in good faith. He brings on Antifa. He brings on leftists. Those are the kind of conversations I want to see. And I want to see legitimate, honest leftists bring up real conversations and have real debates on certain issues. And the left has some some people, I think, do a great job. Jimmy Dore, I've been I've been uh, uh, praising him for the past week or so because he's, he's putting pressure on the Democrats and the progressives to do their jobs and challenge Nancy Pelosi. Much respect. And I believe Jimmy recently went on Tucker Carlson. That's a conversation I'd love to see in depth. Couple hours. Jimmy, Tucker, come on my podcast. Let's, that'd be fantastic. That's what I look for moving forward, but I don't think we're going to get it. I don't want to go off on that tangent. Let's get back to California and I'll show you what probably is the most striking bit of evidence that California is, is facing dire straits. And their desperation has become so thick and palpable, you could cut it with a knife. The Wall Street Journal says a California plan to chase away the rich, then keep stalking them. A proposed wealth tax would apply for a decade to anyone who spends 60 days in the state in a single year. Could you imagine how many people, let's play a game. You work out of uh, Delaware, okay, a lot of Delaware corporations, and they say, we sell uh, water purifiers. It's a random thing, okay? And so they're like, we need you to go and negotiate with this mid-sized business. They've got, you know, you know, uh, what, what's a mid well, Let's say large business. Let's say they've got, you know, 50 chains. They're a restaurant, and they only really exist throughout northern and central California. We want you to go to California, and you're going to be there for four days. Try and sell them these filters and give them a demonstration. Goes to California. Comes back. Then they say, we got a big expo happening in California. We want you to go there. It's, it's, it's a four-day ordeal, so you're going to be there the day before and the day after. So you'll be there for six days. You go, imagine you have this job, and you travel all around the country, and then you break that magic number, 60 days in California. Then all of a sudden, you get a tax bill to your home, and they're telling you you got to pay them taxes based on your wealth. The, the hard assets you own, California says, pay up. Or, or, or what? What are they going to do? Charge you criminally? What do they think is going to happen? More importantly, what would happen if they pass this law and then you're you sitting, you know, you're, you're at your job and they're like, uh, you know, Bill, we want you to go to California to this big car. Oh, I'm not going to California. What do you mean? Why won't? What do you mean? No, you, it's part of your job. No way. If I'm on 59 days already, I go there for one more day. They're going to tax me for a decade. People are going to be like, let's not work out of California. The Wall Street Journal says. California's legislature is considering a wealth tax on residents, part year residents, and any person who spends more than 60 days inside the state's border in a single year, even those who move out of the state would continue to be subject to the tax for a decade. A provision that calls to mind the Ingalls Eagles famous Hotel California lyric. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. The California Constitution probably allows a statewide wealth tax on residents. But any effort to create a tax capable of reaching cross-state borders is likely to run afoul of the U.S. Constitution. Taxing someone who spends only 60 days in the state in any single year and extending that tax over an ensuing decade would be something new under the sun. Each year, this tax net would gather up a new crop of taxpayers for the next decade. This shows you their absolute desperation. But let me explain to you how the wealth tax will work and ultimately how it would fail. The game they're playing with a wealth tax is kind of like property tax. Say you own a house, right? Well, you got to pay a property tax on that house. The property tax on houses can actually be kind of high in some places. So maybe you have a house that's worth, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars and you end up paying four grand per year. 
you have to pay essentially a tax for where you are, a rent, as it were. You're never free of this. So your house can still be repossessed even if you own it outright. A wealth tax operates in a very similar way, but it operates based on your net worth, hard assets. So let's say, I don't know, you own a uh, camper van. Maybe you're retiring, so you buy a camper. The question I have about wealth tax is if it's based on your net worth, could you not just buy something absurdly large so your net your net worth is negative? Maybe you have a million dollars in hard assets, but a million a million dollars in one in debt. In which case, they're not going to apply the wealth tax to you. See how this game is played. But let's say you come to inherit something from uh, you, you get an RV handed down from your grandparents after their unfortunate passing. They're old and they say, we're going to leave you our old, you know, 2013, whatever, uh, class A massive. It's worth 100. Well, 2013, maybe it's worth 40 or 50 grand. A class A actually probably worth more than that, maybe like 70 or 80. All of a sudden, you now you come into this wealth and they say, you owe us on the wealth you have. But you're like, bro, I'm homeless. I live in a van. I don't have any wealth. Too bad. You got to pay on this. Obviously, the wealth tax is targeting those who reach a certain threshold. But the point I'm trying to make is you could be really rich. And if you own something that can't be sold or can't be used as currency, how do you pay that? The rich will flee in droves. That's why they're trying to say, well, we'll tax you for 10 more years. That's how desperate they've become. We're looking at the total collapse of California. But I think this is just the beginning of the bell curve. You know, California had a meteoric rise for some time. The Hollywood, Silicon Valley, a lot of things made this place worth living. Not so much anymore. And something interesting is happening outside of it. You have people who are making an industry out of getting out of these places. But take a look at this, a tale of two migrations. Why, last year, we could point out that people were leaving California. Net migration from other states to California in 2016 was minus 117. In uh, in 2015, it was minus 102, minus 41,000 in 2014. But net migration from other countries has been steadily increasing. Now, it peaked a while ago, back in like 1993. But starting in about 2010, net migration from other countries is going up. California is bringing in foreign migrants as American citizens are fleeing the state. That's going to make for a very interesting position in the next few years as conversation around secession begins to emerge. American citizens in many places who are fleeing these California aren't going to look at California as a very American place. And they might say, by all means, secede. California has wanted to secede for a long time. Or at least, I'm sorry, I say many, many individuals in California. It doesn't mean they will. But now as we see the ideological drift where you have free states and lockdown states, people are leaving California because of this disaster, and they're going to other states that are much more free. And in the end, in four years, what? The red states and the blue states are so ideologically divided, they don't even view themselves as part of the same country. Maybe that's where we go. But at any rate, let California be an example of the failures of what these Democrats do once they assume supermajority control. And that's probably why it's a good idea to not let Democrats win in Georgia. To be fair, I don't care about Loeffler or Purdue in, in Georgia. Trump is calling in his supporters to make sure they win, but Trump supporters want Trump to win. Maybe it's just too soon for Trump and whatever's about to go on. Or maybe this is the beginning of some kind of civil war. It was pointed out to me by some people that we do have the divided states, red and blue, and they're entrenched. 
they're not going to change. There's no the fact that we have swing states is kind of a scary proposition. Those are the disputed territories. But what happens when all of the states solidify? What happens when the Republicans know they will never win an election again? And they might not. It might be too late. I think the Democrats are going to win in Georgia. Would the Republicans just say our voice no longer exists and this imposing culture shall rule over us for, for forever? No, they're going to say, you go do your thing. It's untenable. We'll see how it rolls. January 6th will be interesting, to say the least, with Alex Jones and, as he says, 10 million people descend on D.C. to stop Joe Biden from becoming president. I don't know if they'll actually be able to do anything to stop it. I think an occupation of D.C., as they've called it, a peaceful demonstration, an occupation, might change things. Well, in a couple of weeks, we'll find out. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at youtube.com slash timcastnews, 10 a.m., and I will see you all then. On January 6th, there will be a joint session of Congress to count the electoral votes and determine who will be the next president. And Donald Trump has called on his supporters to descend on Washington, D.C. for the last ride. I'm just kidding. Trump said, be there. It'll be wild, which is calling for his supporters to be there. But Trump didn't come out and say, my fellow Americans and my ardent supporters, this is our last chance. Please join me. It was just a they're saying there's going to be a protest. Be there. It'll be wild. We'll see if Trump does a more forceful call to action. But Alex Jones certainly did. He put out a video where he said he's expecting 10 million people to descend on D.C. because this is the day the corrupt, compromised, crony Joe Biden and his crooked family take control of this country and the globalists will be in control. He's calling for a massive, peaceful demonstration. Now, all of this is happening amid the backdrop of psychotic reporting from the likes of CNN and Business Insider. Get a load of this headline. Trump raised the idea of imposing martial law to overturn the election in a White House meeting, according to reports. They really, really want Trump supporters to show up in D.C., I'm telling you. I don't know why, but this is the kind of news that makes people believe Trump will actually do something like this. So you must be there. Think about it. Why are they reporting? Uh, let me just tell you right off the bat. This is mostly fake news. OK, according to The New York Times, there was a meeting where Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell had mentioned the, the, the prospect of martial law. And Trump asked, is that something that can be done? And they said, no, that's ridiculous. And he said, OK, that was it. We know Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell and many others have been saying martial law, martial law, simply because Trump responded to a statement made by them. They're running these stories or these headlines, not to say that the entire story is arguing that Trump literally was like planning a martial law event. Now, certainly there are many people who believe Trump will actually do something like this. And those people who truly believe that Trump will, will likely be on the ground January 6th in D.C. You know, I don't know what's going to happen on January 6th. And I like to believe that when it comes to big protests and stuff, I have a good idea of how these things turn out because I've been covering them for a decade. You know, when, when you'd see something like the Proud Boys saying they're going to be somewhere, it's like you have a general idea of what's going to happen. When Antifa says they're going to be somewhere, you have a general idea of the size, the scope, the scale. There was an old saying we said, or, or an old metric we used to use during Occupy Wall Street 
for every person who uh, uh, for every like thousand people, right, that say they're going to be attending a protest, 10 percent of that will actually show up. So about 100, 100 people. So that's that's what we would do. If you, you'd look on Facebook, you'd see like 5000 people confirm they're going to this protest in New York and then 500 people would actually show up. But everything's different now. And I wonder if Trump supporters actually will give like one last hurrah in an attempt to stop Joe Biden from taking the presidency. There's posts all over various Internet forums saying you must go. You must drive. Don't fly because they'll try and block you from flights. Get in your car and get to D.C. They are calling on everybody. Alex Jones in his video said that they had about about 500,000 to a million people last time. I actually think the the uh, uh, fair estimate was like 200,000. And so that's that's Syria. I mean, that's a lot of people. And Jones said that if they try to install uh, uh, Joe Biden, they will occupy D.C. Now, that's a far cry from Donald Trump declaring martial law on January 6th. But I think Donald Trump is testing the waters. And I I, I actually uh, I do think Trump may take some kind of action. I don't know exactly what kind. I'm not entirely convinced it would be martial law to rerun the elections or anything like that. But a lot of people think that Trump will take some kind of Lincoln-esque action. I'm not convinced. You look, the media, the, the reason many people believe Trump is this overbearing and powerful man is because the media keeps claiming that every step of the way, he's got this iron fist he slams on the table and then just does whatever he wants. But it's just not really how things are happening. Donald Trump, for the most part, has been, especially when it comes to his administration, he's made several mistakes with who he's hired. He said to fire several people and he should have fired several more. Trump has been able to accomplish many things, but he didn't even invoke the Insurrection Act when we had a hundred plus days of rioting. So I'll tell you right now, if Trump would not bring in the troops for a hundred days of rioting in Portland, nationwide mass rioting from small towns to big cities, why would anyone believe he's going to invoke martial law to keep himself in the presidency? Trump has always been, in my opinion, a fairly normal president. I, I know, I know, already people are screaming, what do you mean normal? He's anything but. Yes, in many ways, he's not normal. I get it. I, I, I totally understand. What I mean to say is, though, although there's been crazy news and Trump himself is not, you know, your average president, it's just what we're seeing in terms of policy decisions and things like that. There's been weird things done to Trump. The impeachment, the, the weird hearings, all the dumb investigations. That's the Democrats not being normal. Trump, on the other hand, has been going to court. He's been signing executive orders. Fairly typical. Um, I, I think Trump is a, an average to good president. And that's, a, that's, that's saying a lot coming from me, especially being a fence sitter, a milk toast fence sitter, as it were, and thinking that Obama and Bush were awful. And I can't say too much about Clinton because I was too young. But I, I lived through Bush. I lived through Obama and now we have Donald Trump and Donald Trump, you know, he I would say in the past couple of years, he's been a great president. He absolutely has. The economy was roaring. He was bringing our troops out of the Middle East, things that I really like. Uh, And then he kind of weighs himself down with his demeanor and candor and things like that. But when you when you look at the whole first term, I say he was average to good um, because he did some bad things in his first couple of years and some really good things in the last couple of years. We'll see if somehow he does something to get on a uh, another four. But I just don't see this imposing visage of a fascist dictatorship, the way the media wants wants to portray Trump as this guy. So Trump himself has tweeted, 
It's fake news. Check this out. Trump pushes back on reported talk of martial law. Fake news. Just more knowingly bad reporting. Trump tweeted in the very, very early hours of this morning. And you know what? I think he's right. I I really don't see Donald Trump declaring martial law. We are not in a a civil war type tension uh, tension right now. Now, maybe. Well, I I mean, uh, let let me rephrase that, because, of course, I talk about civil war quite a bit. We're not at the point like uh, where Abraham Lincoln was yet. If Joe Biden is our James Buchanan, this feckless, weak leader who just lets everything fall apart, then Trump might reemerge in 2024 as the actual Lincoln figure, perhaps. I have no idea what to expect, but I can tell you this. The far left hates the establishment. The establishment, the Antifa views the government is illegitimate. The far left is now fighting with the establishment. And many progressive politicians are getting heat from other progressives. I think one of the only true uh, prominent uh, leftist populists, Jimmy Dore, and, 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 I, and the reason I say that is because Jimmy Dore can talk with a Trump supporter and they can argue about Trump and Trump policies, but then completely agree on populism. And that's legitimate. Then you look at Ocasio-Cortez and she doesn't do the things the progressives actually uh, wanted her to do or elected her to do. Or I should say the populists. She's just a, a, a corporate Democrat with a social justice bent. It's, there's a lot of people on the left that are faux progressive. Like I think many of the Young Turks, not all of them, but many of them. They, 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 they feign being these progressive, you know, uh, the bast- bastions of progressivism, but then it always falls down to protecting the establishment in some ways, not perfectly, but enough. Whereas the populist right is screaming like, burn it down, Mitch McConnell, the Republican Party, it must, you know, they're, they have no problem being like, this is what we want, this is why we want it. So let me tell you this. January 6th, I actually think we're going to see a, a lot of people. The difference between last month when, you know, 200,000 or so people showed up and January 6th is that this is it. If people don't show up on January 6th, then Trump never really had the support in the first place, I guess. I'm even actually considering going down there and doing the podcast in D.C. to talk to people on the ground because this is it. January 6th is the last day of the actual electoral process. If there is any constitutional path by which Trump through the election, becomes president, it will be January 6th. It's going to be extremely unlikely, and that's an understatement, that Trump actually pulls it off. Maybe if Trump has enough supporters, though, and this is where he's testing the water, maybe if he has enough enough supporters, maybe if actually 10 million people did descend on D.C., Trump would say, I'm not leaving. These people have said so. And if the people, if 10 million people actually showed up in D.C. and they occupied the buildings, well, then you'd have a revolution. I don't see that happening, but I will warn all of you. I was, I've said it before. The one, the, uh, the, the one uh, revolution I've, I literally witnessed happen in real time. I've been in many countries where there, where there have been civil, uh, there's been civil unrest, uprising and dramatic change to government. But I was standing on the balcony of the Hilton. I could see Tahrir Square when they announced on the news, they have removed, I believe it was Morsi at the time. And it didn't take that many people. I look back at the history with uh, uh, with Abraham Lincoln and, you know, Abraham Lincoln did a bunch of really, really, really crazy stuff. I tell you this, man. So check this out. The We the People Convention. This is where the martial law thing comes from. Michael Flynn tweeted this out. 
Uh, let me read to you what, what, what Abraham Lincoln did, but I want to make sure I don't lose track of that previous idea I was going to say on the left. The left hates the establishment. The right hates the establishment. The establishment will fight to protect itself, but without core support from the partisans, I believe will f- potentially fall apart. If Donald Trump on the six retains power, then the left will say it's no longer the establishment, it's Trumpism. And then the left, who also hates Trump, will, you know, go up against him. Then you'll get this chaos and this clash. But the same can be said for a progressive leader. The issue is that there's no potential progressive leader right now. If a far leftist communist was about to become president, then Trump supporters, I absolutely would believe, would show up with tens of millions of people armed to the teeth, mind you, even though it's illegal, I believe, in D.C. I think that would happen. Um, with Joe Biden, I think their goal was like, get someone weak and pathetic that most people try and ignore. But the news is broken. The Biden family, according to a former confidant, Tony Bobulinski, is compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. They, they were taking tons of money. I mean, there's, there's the crazy stories coming out about the, 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 the family was sharing office space with Chinese Communist Party members or something like that. I mean, this is, this is, this is crazy stuff. Trump supporters, if they effectively organize and get their message out, might actually descend. The big question uh, on, on DC on the 6th, giving Trump the power and the presence to actually make a move to stay in power. The big question I have is the, the willingness of Trump supporters, like how far are they willing to go? Now, Alex Jones said peaceful occupation, like Occupy Wall Street, totally legal. And that's that. But will they actually stand up to any federal authority or police or anything like that? I'm not entirely convinced. I've seen uh, uh, Trump supporters and Proud Boys get shoved back and pushed by cops and then say, sorry, sorry, thank you, officer. Trump supporters are not the ones who go up against the police. That is changing now with the lockdowns, though. So I'm wondering, are we going to see widespread civil disobedience? I mean, people actually showing up in D.C. and then doing like lockdown citizen occupation, things that are like minorly illegal, but what the left typically does, you know, it's a thing you get a slap on a wrist for. They pick you up, they arrest you, they release you in a couple hours and say, go home. You know, that's usually what happens. This is different, though. This is this is a rallying cry from Trump supporters to be in D.C. the day the electoral votes are counted to stop Joe Biden from from getting the presidency. If enough people actually showed up, I wonder if they could actually jam up Congress to the point where they wouldn't be able to hold the vote at all, in which case constitutional crisis. Better yet, what happens if leftists show up to counter the right, which is extremely likely the leftists uh, to a certain degree show up armed? I mean, four Proud Boys got stabbed last time and put in critical condition. What happens when both factions show up in D.C. and fight and the chaos stops the January 6th vote from happening? Then there is no president. And if the votes don't get counted, does the, how does the Supreme Court rule? Does Nancy Pelosi become president? Do they force some kind of contingent election? Does Trump declare an emergency? I have no idea. It's all about who has the political willpower. Conservatives typically don't. And I know a lot of people on the right get mad that I say that, but that's true. Typically don't doesn't mean they currently don't. It means they typically don't. They don't go out and protest. It is rare to see the Proud Boys go out and do these things. Maybe this is the time when Trump supporters and the right show up and say they've had enough. And this is the moment when they come out organized and, and, and defy a, a local law or something. I, I don't know. It would really be uh, the, the only way I see anything getting done uh, in terms of helping Trump stay in, in, in power. 
So we'll see, I guess. But uh, uh, back to the martial law question, because I want to talk to you about Lincoln. This is interesting stuff. The We the People convention is what Michael Flynn tweeted that is that called on Trump to invoke a limited martial law to hold a new election in a full page Washington Times ad if legislators, courts and Congress do not follow the Constitution. Well, as of right now, Rand Paul and uh, Matt Gates, many other people are saying these these elections that were run in many states, I think two dozen states were not clean. They were not done properly. They did not follow their state legislature, uh, state legislatures, the rules of their election, and thus are in violation of the electors clause. In this ad, they mentioned something really interesting. Lincoln ordered hundreds of northern newspapers that spoke against him shut down and their owners and editors arrested. Lincoln ordered the arrest of Ohio Congressman Clement Vallandigham, Vallandigham, I, I assume that's how you pronounce it, for the crime of speaking out against him. Chief Justice of the U.S. Uh, of the U.S. Roger Taney ruled that Lincoln had violated the U.S. Constitution when he illegally suspended the writ of habeas corpus. After hearing this, Lincoln signed an arrest warrant to have the Chief Justice of the U.S. arrested. Now that's disputed. Lincoln ordered the arrest of thousands in Maryland for the crime of suspected Southern sympathies, including ordering the arrest of U.S. Congressman Henry May from Maryland. These people were arrested and held in military prisons without trial. Some of them for years. And they say Abraham Lincoln is a hero. Now, I'm not questioning Abraham Lincoln. It was a civil war, right? History is written by the victors. Abraham Lincoln held the union together by force, extreme force, in violation of the Constitution. And we look back and say he was right to do so. And that's really interesting. Abraham Lincoln also signed the Emancipation Proclamation, one of the most important things ever done in this country. And probably why we overlook some of the more horrifying things he did. War is hell, as they say, I suppose. But there are many people who have been in war and say, you, you know, it's not. There, there are a lot of people who thrive in, these, in, in, in conflict and combat and emergencies and crisis. And I know many of these people who, who, who just want to parachute in to conflict and crisis. I used to do this uh, as a conflict journalist. I know people who are just desperate and salivating to get on the ground in that conflict. So they say war is hell. The people who have been there truly know. But I also think there's a lot of people who thrive in these circumstances. More to the point. We look back on history and the North won. And Abraham Lincoln did horrifying things. So first, the first thing I'll point out is this. The, the Taney arrest warrant is disputed. They say it's a conjectural controversy. No one's ever seen the actual arrest warrant that was signed. Maybe it never happened. Many people claim that, that, that it did happen. They say the warrant was never served, according to Le, uh, Lemon for reasons that were not given. The manuscript dates from the 1880s and resides in the collection of Lamont papers at the Huntington Library. Taney's own memoir, completed with his unfinished autobiography by Samuel Taylor in 1872, refers to the chief justice's fear of arrest. According to Tyler, as Taney left the house of his son-in-law, Mr. Uh, Mr. Campbell, en route to his courtroom, remarked that it was likely he should be imprisoned in Fort McHenry before the night, but that he was going to court to do his duty. That's right. The country was on the verge of collapse and chaos was abound. And so Abraham Lincoln did a bunch of crazy stuff. Check this out. This is from historyengine.richmond.edu. During the course of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was responsible for shutting down more than 300 newspapers. In a telegram sent to Major General Dix on May 18th, 1864, Lincoln orders military occupation of the New York World newspaper for something that was wickedly and tra traitorously printed and published. In another telegram sent on May 18th, 
it is discovered that a forged document of some kind was printed in the newspaper. This document was a fake proclamation by Lincoln to add uh, 400,000 troops to the Northern Army. The Department of State quickly released a statement claiming the document was false, and Lincoln ordered an immediate shutdown of the newspaper. It was later discovered that a man named Joseph Howard, a known prankster, was behind the forged document. Perhaps they were upset that by saying this, it could inflame the war. Perhaps Donald Trump will be upset that the New York Times said Trump was entertaining the possibility of martial law, or at least he had talked about it. And many other outlets have now come out and said, said that Trump was, uh, how did, how, let's, 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 let's make sure we get this right. Raising the idea of imposing martial law to overturn the election, according to reports. Maybe Trump says that is going to cause mass chaos. Maybe Trump says there are many people who are seditious. Eric Swalwell, for instance, was just outed as cohabitating, as it were, with a Chinese spy. Why is he not being, first of all, why hasn't he resigned? Immediately, why hasn't he been detained and questioned? And they should be tearing apart every single document in his office, in his house. But they're not. Over at the Taney arrest warrant, Wikipedia, they mentioned this. During Lincoln's administration, several prominent political adversaries were arrested, including Congressman Clement Vallandigham, a leading copperhead, and at least one of one other federal judge, William Matthew Merrick of the United States Circuit Court for the District of Columbia, was placed under house arrest for, for defying suspension. Several northern newspapers also publicly called for Taney's arrest after the Merriman ruling. Amazing. Abraham Lincoln crossed the Rubicon. So they say he made a move for which there was no turning back in violation of law and constitution, the constitution. He arrested people without charge or trial for some, some for years. That is nightmarish. When faced with what's happening today, I do not believe, uh, I believe that it is not in dispute. When you look at the actual evidence, when you read from Politico, the story Biden Inc., I'm not making this stuff up. Politico wrote how the Biden family fortunes have conveniently tracked alongside Joe Biden's career. When Joe Biden became uh, when he began overseeing the Iraq war, his brother got multimillion dollar contracts for construction. His son gets to go to Burisma, Ukraine uh, at, at a time when U.S. interests. L- listen, when we talk about the Hunter Biden Ukraine stuff, people need to realize what was going on at that point. The U.S., NATO, and the EU were trying to get Ukraine to join them, Western factions. Russia wanting having a new trade federation and some suggested wanting to rebuild the old Soviet system was trying to get Ukraine to join them. Their president, Yanukovych, was favorable to Russia. All of a sudden, we see CIA, uh, former CIA uh, interests, individuals, agents, and Hunter Biden on the board of an energy company. All the while, we got the Qatar Turkey pipeline, natural gas trying to come into Europe. I think Hunter Biden was placed there to enrich the Biden family, same as his brother in Iraq, because they knew once this natural gas pipeline came into Ukraine to offset the Russian, ga- the Russian natural gas monopoly, they would be primed to get that cash. And they were getting it the whole time. People need to realize what was happening with Ukraine while that stuff was going down. What was happening with Iraq? This is not conjecture. This is, well, my, my opinion. But what's happened with, with Ukraine and, and Hunter Biden is reported in numerous outlets. So you can say it's all fake news, fine, but I'm not making it up. 
So the quest, there, there is no question in my mind. When you see someone like Tony Bobulinski come out, release the emails, confirm them. The Biden family, Hunter Biden, $5 million interest-free forgivable loan straight from China, a $1.5 billion private equity deal. And you know what I hear? I hear a lot of people say that didn't go through, though. And I thought that, too, until I had China Uncensored on my show just recently. And Shelley said, actually, it did go through, just not in the way people realize. Joe Biden flew his son on Air Force Two government property to China to negotiate a private deal. The Biden family, not necessarily Joe, because they say he wasn't involved, but the Biden family enriched themselves. And I'll tell you this, what would you call it when you fly someone on some, you, you have a plane, a jet, government funded, and you say, okay, son, I'm going to fly you to China and negotiate a billion dollar, billion and a half dollar deal. You, you mean to tell me that Joe Biden's not in on it? Tony Bobulinski said Joe Biden is compromised, and we have more than enough evidence to suggest it. Will Donald Trump invoke some kind of martial law based off this evidence? I believe, I, I, I think there's more than enough evidence to suggest Joe Biden is compromised and that we are facing a very serious crisis in this country. If Trump crosses the Rubicon, it will be incumbent upon him to win if history will view him favorably. And they will. Uh, if he wins, if he loses, then he will be a, a, a tyrannical dictator. And I don't know. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't do anything. I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And I'm not the smartest person in the world. And as much as the left calls me a right wing Trump supporter, the Trump supporters don't like me for being a fence sitter. I'm not here to support you. I'm not here to support your tribe or your cause or what you want to happen. I'm here to tell you what I think about what's going on. And I'll do what, I, what, what needs to be done in the event of a, in a real crisis or emergency. But I tell you this, man, Abraham Lincoln did some crazy, crazy stuff. And they look back upon him as a hero. And for good reason, in a lot of ways. But you can't, you, you can't ignore that he did some messed up stuff. That's the big challenge. Many people on the right, many Trump supporters are saying Trump needs to do it. We cannot allow someone compromised by China to take the presidency. Eric Swalwell, one of the Democrats who is leading the charge against Trump to to obstruct and, and stop him in his first term, we now know was cohabitating, if you know what I mean, with a Chinese spy. I should say that's the allegation. He, he, it's the allegation, but there's photos of him together with her, Fang Fang, and he hasn't resigned. I think if, you know, Trump called for the immediate arrest and detainment of someone like Swalwell, I wouldn't be surprised. Not at all. Look at how he's tried to disrupt and and, and uh, uh, subvert the, the executive branch. And now we know he was uh, in bed figuratively and allegedly literally with a Chinese spy who helped fundraise for him to get him into office in the first place. Perhaps a useful idiot, perhaps an unwitting agent of China. They said uh, Trump was a Russian asset, that he was working for Russia and all that jazz. We have more than enough evidence to suggest Joe Biden is connected to China. Should Trump take similar actions the Democrats took in trying to remove or appoint a special counsel, perhaps? We'll see if the Trump supporters, the conservatives in this country, muster up the willpower on January 6th. I think they might finally do it this time. It's the last stand for, 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 the, for the constitutional electoral process. And if Trump doesn't win it, 
Joe Biden does. And we'll see what that means for this country. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I'll see you all then. On the screen, for those that are listening, is a map which says states focusing on black and Hispanic residents for vaccination rollout. And we can see that many blue states are prioritizing non-white individuals for the vaccine over white individuals. And we can see that many of the red states have chosen not to do this, not that they're going to be giving preferential access to white people. In fact, what we're seeing is that many states, and it's not really divided by red and blue because Wyoming is choosing to do this as well. What we're seeing is race based preference in medication. And it's coming from the CDC. I have to say, this whole thing reeks of a kind of eugenics. Now, maybe not overt and outright eugenics. If you're not familiar with eugenics, it's like choosing which genes survive and which don't. It is just more of a, I don't know, I guess an aside eugenics. Telling people that marginalized communities should have access first and we're going to distribute a life-saving medication based on race to me is shocking and insane. And it's the product of this deranged leftist ideology where they think certain races should get access to medications or certain programs over other races instead of class-based issues. How does it make sense that a multimillionaire Latino family or black family should get preferential access over a poor white family. It doesn't. Race is not the defining factor in why someone might be underprivileged. It plays a role for sure. Racism exists, absolutely. But this to me is a step over the line. And I tell you why this is so crazy. We're coming off of some other news that came out of the New York Times, which I covered the other day. Professor gets heat after saying whiter elderly should wait for vaccine, should wait for vaccine. No, he said that we should level the playing field, my friends. Now that is eugenics saying that older white people should die because they've been given privileges throughout their life is insane. Now, I don't like the idea of only giving rich people access to the vaccine. Not at all. In fact, I'll tell you this first and foremost. I always want to make sure I state this very, very clearly. There are a lot of people who are concerned about the safety of this vaccine. In fact, it's been mostly the mainstream media putting out stories scaring people. In Alaska, we now have three different stories about an anaphylactic reaction, which is a severe allergic reaction where you could potentially die. And they need to give you epinephrine, an auto injector. They jam it into you. And then the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a faux adrenaline which reverses the effects of the uh, anaphylactic shock. Your throat closes. You, you asphyxiate. It's horrifying. Now, we have these three stories, but apparently there's also been reports that over a million people have already been vaccinated. So listen, I think it should be a choice, 100%. There should be no mandated medication of, of, of the population. Uh, w- w- to varying degrees, I would say as well, because I guess an apocalyptic scenario, sure. This is not an apocalyptic scenario, okay? We're not even talking about the, the rate at which we saw the 1918 flu pandemic. We're not talking about airborne Ebola. We're talking about a serious illness that has lingering effects that mostly affects the elderly. The idea then that we should say we shouldn't give it to the elderly because they tend to be whiter, like this guy said, is insane. Now, the argument from The New York Times, it was, it was, it was a discussion of essential workers versus the elderly who should get it first. Now, that's, that's fair. Essential workers are on the front line and are you know, going to be exposed, but they're not likely to die. And that makes it a, a, a difficult question. But the bigger issue uh, out of all of this is some businesses, some jobs are going to mandate the vaccine. 
Now, that being said, I oppose that. It should be a choice. And we're going to start seeing private businesses say, do you get your vaccine yet? Andrew Yang saying, can we do a barcode on people's phones? That's nuts, man. That, that, is, that is a whole world you do not want to enter. Okay, so I oppose all of that. But I always want to make sure I say a few things. Watch out for the mainstream media trying to terrify you, okay? This is actually one of Trump's biggest successes. Operation Warp Speed to get the vaccine done, okay? And he did. And so I'm not surprised there are, there's media trying to shock people into being scared of this. I don't think it's as clear cut and dry as most tribalist issues, but I certainly think there's a component of trying to say Trump didn't succeed and wanting to sensationalize news to get clicks. If they're reporting now over a million people have been vaccinated and we have like four or five stories of negative side effects in the US with a bloodthirsty media desperate to dig them up, I don't think it's all that bad. And I'll tell you this too. Uh, one thing I often mention, look, man, I've gone to the doctor and I've gotten prescribed medications. I have no idea what they are. Okay. I, I, I'll read into them. I'll look for potential side effects. And then I hope I don't get those side effects. This is a vaccine that was accomplished uh, in, in a very, very short period of time. And so I think there's issues at hand where people might be concerned. And many people have said they wanted to wait, notably Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. So I don't think it's unreasonable for people to say, I want to chill. I want to wait. The important thing out of after saying all of that, okay, and I'll, I'll stress should not be mandatory. It should be up to the individuals who choose whether they want to get it or not, because some people may be concerned and rightly so. I mean, I have allergies, so I'm apparently never going to get the thing. You need to understand most of you listening to this right now will not get this. You will never get this. And you know why? You will not be allowed to get this. It's that simple. All right. Listen, the priority list. Actually, actually, I think I have it. When uh, find out how many people may get a COVID-19 vaccine before you and they have this chart. OK, I guess you can't actually see it unless you go through it. But they explain there's three phases and these phases are not going to be us. OK, if you are between the ages of I think it's like 24 and 64, you're not getting this. So even if your boss was like, we want you to get it, I can't get it. You're so far at the back of the line, it's not COVID's going to be gone by the time it ever has to come down to you. So I'm not super worried about it. What I am worried about is the big push right now for this kind of race based medication of the country in terms of a pandemic. Now, I'm, again, I'll stress COVID is not airborne Ebola. All right. Everybody needs to calm down. Ebola is terrifying, actually rather ineffective disease. This is, this is true. It's such an extreme disease. It's, it's easy to isolate and, and, and stop. But, you know, sometimes people don't want to. If you if you look at uh, what happened in some of these countries where they had Ebola, you had people who are like breaking out of hospitals and then running around and spreading Ebola. That's that's bad. Now, if it came down to Ebola, I I'm at uh, what's the mortality rate of Ebola? It's like 80 percent. Or, or something like that. I don't know, some ridiculously high number. Maybe it's not 80. No, I, I think it's really high, though. Yeah, that I get. That's like everything gets locked down. The pandemic right now that we're in is COVID with a mortality rate of, I believe, around like 0.24. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Actually, no, no, it's way less than that. It's um, it's a 0.0065, I think, which translates to most people. It'll be a 99.99% recovery. For people over a certain age or with comorbidities, it's like 97%. We don't want anyone to die. And there are lingering effects. I don't know if you guys saw this this video that went around where it's like this basketball player dunks and then he's like turning around, runs and then just drops down, just passes out because uh, something happens where it like damaged his heart. So those things are, those are freaky. Okay. So I'm, I'm willing to accept, you know, look, I got no problem wearing a mask. Um, 
I go to the store, I'll put the mask on, I leave, I take it off, I got to wear a shirt too, it's not the big, biggest deal in the world, and I'm not going to get the vaccine anyway because I'm not allowed to get it, okay? That, that, all that being said, what's freaky is when you have professors saying, and, 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 and look at this, let, let, let me read you some of this story for those that missed it the other day. An ethics professor at the University of Pennsylvania sparked a heated debate by suggesting essential workers should get priority for the coronavirus vaccine over vulnerable senior citizens because the workers are more likely to be minorities. Wow, that is insane. Older populations are wider, Harold Schmidt told The New York Times. Society is structured in a way that enables them to live longer. Instead of giving additional health benefits to those who already had more of them, we can start to level the playing field a bit. Let the white people die, he says. Level the playing field? He's talking about letting people die so there's less of them. That's psychotic. And what does it translate to? These lunatics have now got nationwide guidance instructing states to basically do this. That's, that's, that's the woke social justice stuff. It has crossed a line, I tell you, man. When it comes down to medicating, uh, providing medication, and you've got people who are literally dying, triage, as it were. Could you imagine if you've got, you guys know what triage is? It's where you prioritize those who are more likely or who are dying faster than those. So let's say it's war and people are being brought into the, to the, you know, the first aid tent or whatever to the, to the uh, medical bay. And there's 10 people and they're all going, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. And then this guy, Harold Schmidt, basically says, I noticed that some of these people who were shot in the femoral artery and are on the verge of death are wider than those who got, you know, shot in the arms and legs. We should prioritize our triage towards those who are non-white because the white people have been afforded too many privileges. Now, does that make sense? No. However, there's another argument to be made. Perhaps those who were shot in the arms and legs are actually medical workers themselves. And they say, we need to make sure the medical workers don't die, because if we get them up and ready, they can actually help save other lives as well. So when the discussion is essential workers versus the elderly, I understand that argument. Essential workers being exposed could result in the last, you know, uh, like the, the, the essential work not getting done, whereas the elderly likely are not doing that. I guess if you're elderly and a frontline worker, you should get the vaccine before anyone else. But it's, it's, it should basically say, I'll put it this way. The people working in these stores who might, might be minorities are mostly not in the vulnerable groups anyway. So it probably is going to be fine. 99.99% survival. We should probably give it to the elderly. Take a look at this story. They say every U.S. state has been advised to consider ethnic minorities as a critical vulnerable, vulnerable group in their vaccine distribution plans, according to Centers for Disease Control Guidance. As a result, half of the nation's states have outlined plans that now prioritize black, Hispanic and, indi and, and indigenous residents over white people in some way as the vaccine rollout begins. According to our analysis, 25 states have been have committed to a focus on racial and ethnic communities as they decided which groups should be prioritized in receiving a coronavirus vaccine dose. Now, let me tell you what the result of this will be. If we are looking at hundreds of thousands of people who have died and they tend to be older and they say they're going to prioritize uh, non-whites. Well, the people who vote for Republicans tend to be older white people. So this is a death knell for the Republican Party. I mean, not entirely, because I got I, I to gotta be real with everybody. Listen, about 320,000 or so people have died so far. 
And 90, I think it's like 97% had comorbidities. Some of these comorbidities are actually rather extreme. So uh, while they, there, there are charts showing the death rates this year are higher than the previous years, while we want to make sure nobody dies, I think it would be silly to try and argue that this number of deaths is going to dramatically impact the uh, electoral cycle. Natural deaths outweigh this. Drug overdoses in some cities outweigh COVID. And so I don't want to make it into a political thing, okay? But I do think it's disgusting that they want to split it up based on race. That's that's a whole new level of depravity. And in fact, shouldn't this be a violation of the Civil Rights Act? Like, you can't do that, can you? They say these states include New Mexico, where collaboration with Native Americans is being prioritized. California, which is committed to ensuring black and Hispanic people have greater access to the vaccine. And Oregon, where health officials have said that ethnic minorities will have equitable access to the shot. Some states have made even more specific plans to prioritize communities of color, with 12 states specifically mentioning of efforts to partner with healthcare providers in areas of the large minority population to reach diverse populations, according to Kaiser Family Foundation. It's kind of weird, isn't it? I don't think the U.S. has a particularly uh, good history with giving medications to uh, non-white individuals. And I, I mean it. I mean, look, look at the history of what the U.S. has done. Isn't it kind of weird? Now, if you assume the vaccine is dangerous, and I don't think it is for the most part, I think one of the issues is that the news media is reporting heavily over and over and over again. These stories, when over a million people have already been vaccinated, we have a handful of stories. But if, but if you fall in that camp, then you're probably like, that's really weird that they're giving the minorities this dangerous thing. Um, considering that, you know, I, I personally don't think it's all that dangerous. I do think if you have allergies, you shouldn't get it. If you're, if you're pregnant, you shouldn't. These are, these are advice, uh, this is advice given out by the UK National Health Service. I do think that there are side effects. You should do your research. You should have a choice. I don't think it's all that bad. I think it's probably going to be mostly fine. As with most vaccines, we're going to see a lot of similar side effects. In that case, I think it's really weird that they're choosing certain races to get a vaccine. That's just, that's really, really creepy, man. We can't be doing this kind of stuff. They say the CDC has also issued guidance on its social vulnerability index that uses 15 U.S. census variables to help local officials identify communities that may need support. Listen, if you want to do class-based, fine. They say Maine in particular has developed a racial ethnic minority vaccination plan in an attempt to give a preference to groups that have experienced rates of disease that far exceed their representation in the population as a whole. I'll tell you, there's no real good way to, do, to go about doing this, but I can tell you this ain't it. I don't think there, you know, look, there's some people who might argue meritocracy. If we were dealing with a legit triage, you probably want the most important individuals in terms of survivability to survive. So I, I watched this movie the other day about like, it's the future and there's no oxygen. It's called 2067. And this, the, the, the plan is to jump people forward in time to, to a point where humans have a chance to heal. And like 400 years in the future, the planet is healed and the air comes back and all that stuff. And unfortunately, there's some merit to an idea of sacrifice and, and, and triage and recognizing that sometimes the survival of a group or the human, human race means some people might lose their lives. Going about it in an ethical way is, is challenging. What I mean to say is, if you have a boat that's sinking and because it's too heavy, and you have a, you know a handful of people 
who are, if they were not on the boat, you could save 90 people. You have a real utilitarian problem here. Should everyone go down with the ship or should 10 people? It's the trolley problem, essentially. It's a very, very nightmarish scenario that I don't know the answer to. It's a deontological utilitarian. Do you sacrifice the few to save the many? That's a tough call. And you can't always just do it like that. But sometimes leaders have to make those tough choices. Well, that being said, okay, race is not the way to go about doing it. The bigger question everyone has is, can you be fired if you don't get the vaccine? And the answer is yes. Yes, your boss can fire you if you refuse to get a COVID vaccine. This is from December 7th, updated on the 12th. CNBC says uh, roughly four in 10 Americans say they would definitely or probably not get a vaccine, according to a recent survey by Pew. While this is higher than it was two months ago to achieve herd immunity, experts say that about 70% of the population needs to be vaccinated or have natural antibodies. Employers, however, may not be taking no for an answer. A couple of my corporate clients are leaning toward making the COVID vaccine mandatory, said Rog Dunn, a Dallas labor and employment attorney. His clients range from companies in manufacturing to food and beverage industries. They have been battered for months due to the pandemic and government mandated lockdowns. A vaccine promise employers a return to some form of normal. That's not true. That's a lie. They have said numerous individuals and experts, you can't go back to normal. We can't lift the lockdown. You still must wear a mask. You still you still must socially distance and you still might get covid even if you get the vaccine. I believe that the, the efficacy rates are between 90 and 95. So they don't know how many people may still end up getting a covid. And even if you can't get it because of the vaccine, you can still spread it. So they're saying the lockdowns must remain. The idea that these businesses think they're going to mandate this. It's wrong. It's not going to happen. But they can. They can mandate them and you have to get them. They say this mandating the vaccine in the workplace. One of Dunn's clients in the restaurant sector thinks a compulsory inoculation requirement could be a game changer. They think it gives them a competitive advantage. They could say to their customers, our restaurant is safe. All of our employees have been vaccinated. It may be in part a PR tactic, but Dunn said it's totally within an employer's rights to implement this kind of requirement. Under the law, an employer can force an employee to get vaccinated. And if they don't take it, fire them. What if you have a religion? What if you what if you your religion says you can't get this? Well, there's a very serious conundrum between left and right. Some people, I think it's uh, like Seventh Day Adventists. You can't draw blood from. Uh, I'm not sure about vaccines or something, but someone might have a call for a religious exemption. I don't think that would uh, work out all that well. I'm not entirely sure how religious exemptions do end up working. But I will tell you this. You're not going to get the vaccine businesses and you're not going to give a 24 year old waitress the vaccine because that's not going to be for another year or two. And by then we'll probably have herd immunity. So it's kind of stupid. I don't remember who said it, probably Fauci. When it comes time to get the vaccine, step up to the plate and get your vaccine. Sure, if you so choose, you know, uh, this is the biggest problem I've always had with the anti-vax stuff. The left likes to claim you're anti-vax if you don't want to get it. And I'm like, dude, no, it's just should be up to the individual based on their research and their concerns. Look, I have allergies. And when they announced that if you have allergies, you shouldn't get it. I was like, probably makes sense for me not to get it. Plus, I'm a 34-year-old dude, wouldn't get it anyway. You, uh, if people so choose, I get it. But I, I have also said, I think if a school wants to say the kids have to have vaccines, that I'm fine with. But let's be real here. There's a big difference between saying the polio vaccine and the smallpox vaccine versus the COVID vaccine. You know why? Look, when I went to the doctor and they gave me several shots for when I was going to travel the world, it was 
fine, I guess. I don't know what was in them. I didn't do much research on it. I was just like, it's, you get your inoculation and here's what it's supposed to do. And it did its job, apparently. I was able to travel the world and didn't get sick. Okay. But these have been long-standing, tried and true, trialed vaccines that went through a long, rigorous process and have been around for quite some time. They've been improved upon for one thing. COVID was rushed out in eight months. Uh, the COVID vaccine was rushed out in eight months. So there's a big difference between saying I'm concerned about this and anti-vaxxers saying I think all vaccines are bad. But they're trying to do it already. And this, it's so obvious. We had the big anti-vaxxer thing happen where on Reddit and all these other platforms, they're like, anti-vaxxers are so dumb. And sure, there are a lot of conspiracy, you know, anti-vaxxers for sure. But there are a lot of people who are just like, I want to make the choice for my family. They may make the wrong choice. That's well, it's unfortunate, I guess, but individuals have the right to choose and they have individual liberties. And so be it. Now they're trying to conflate that level of conspiracy anti-vax stuff with someone being like, yo, they just rushed this thing out in eight months. I'm kind of not okay with that. And if that's the case, that's your choice. I personally think it's probably going to be fine because I really don't think we're going to end up in some utopia-esque, it's like the TV show, where there is sterilizing people, other crazy scenarios, or everyone starts, you know, getting some weird syndrome and turns into a super mutant or something. I, I just, normalcy bias, I guess. We've seen the allergy stuff, so you should, really should take it seriously and talk to your doctor about it. Ultimately, it's your doctor who's going to tell you what's right for you, and that's, that's, that should be what this is about. There, there, there is a challenge, going back to the race-based stuff. Um, when you have class-based access to medications. And there is a correlation in some historical context between class and race. I totally get that. I just don't think we should be implementing policies the way they're doing it. Because to have a guy come out and say, well, all the people are whiter, so let's level the playing field. You're basically saying, let them die because they're white. It's not, it's not a road you want to go down. That's, that's freaky, creepy, and gross. Uh, ultimately, though, I think, you know, I'll give you my opinion, and, and, and I could be wrong about all this. I think we're going to see extremely harsh lockdown under Joe Biden. It's going to be brutal. The economy is going to be destroyed. They are transferring wealth to massive corporations and the elites. In, in, it's the largest wealth transfer ever, ever in human history. And then probably in like six or so months, things will slowly start to, to, to be back to the way they used to be normal, if you would. And you know what it seems like is really happening? These lockdowns are reversing the massive economic gains that Trump brought about. Is that what it is? They're just destroying the economy, even though they don't have to. They don't have to. We know they don't. The World Health Organization said they don't. They're just doing it because they're nuts. Whatever, man. You know, I talk about the political willpower on the right. And Trump supporters, the diehard ones, don't like it. They don't. And so they'll, they'll call me a coward and a bunch of other words YouTube doesn't allow me to use. And uh, sure. Okay. Well, you tell me when you are going to see someone do anything about the things you're complaining about. The left right now, the progressives, they also have no political willpower. But I'm talking mostly about the politicians who don't want to do anything. There's a small handful who, handful who may. The left certainly doesn't have any. Oh, they'll complain all day, but they won't even... Right now, you got Jimmy Dore calling on them to push force a vote for uh, Medicare for all because Nancy Pelosi only has spe the speakership by four votes. That's right. Four votes. And Nancy Pelosi could lose Speaker of the House. How amazing if there would be a, a minority party Speaker of the House because Nancy Pelosi would not work with the progressives. Well, that won't happen because the progressives won't do anything about it.
There's there's probably like 20 politicians we have in the federal government who are willing to actually stand up and do the right thing. We'll see if anything gets done. Next segment is coming up over at my other channel, youtube.com slash Timcast. It's a different channel from this one. It is. Search YouTube for Tim Pool and you will find this other channel. Subscribe and I will see you all there at 4 p.m.